Well, is that cool or what? So our, our theme for the missions conference this year is many nations, one voice. Now, you know, we, we, uh, we see throughout the scriptures God's heart for the nations. And we're going we're gonna to take a little journey through the Bible this morning looking at that. But, you know, sometimes I think when we, when we do our missions conference or, a, you know, a missions sermon, we, we think sometimes more about our sent ones than we do the actual people that we've sent them to reach, right? And, and that's a good thing that we love and care for our sent ones. But this year, we wanted to really focus on the actual people groups that we've sent out our, our missionaries to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I remember, I got to make sure I do proper math here, not pastoral math. Um, I think it was about 18 years ago. Uh, my family's in Central Asia, uh, and we're in a, we're, we're in a, a, a we had a, a bad day, let's just say, all right? Massive rioting in the city, uh, other uh, Western NGO compounds being torched, uh, people out on our street um, yelling, uh, death to America, that kind of stuff, and, and we ended up being evacuated through all of it. And, uh, and, and by God's grace, actually the next day things kind of settled down and, and we were able to kind of go back home and get back, to, get back to work. Well, a lot of people kind of heard about what was going on. It was on CNN and Fox News and everything else. And, and, and so, you know, a lot of folks at home were praying for us and, and we were certainly grateful for it. But it kind of hit me and I actually wrote those who supported us. I said, you know, if you would put the same kind of unction and urgency into your prayers that... The IMOC people that we've gone out here to try to reach for the gospel, that God would like do a work in their hearts and like would, would save them and, and plant the church among them, that you've, you've done praying for our safety, man, what would God do? So this morning, we want to we think about many nations and one voice, which we see in this text that we've, we've just heard in, in Chinese, right, in Mandarin. And in Indonesian, and in Wano, and in Wolof. Let's think about these words. Many nations, one voice. What does that mean? So let me invite you again, if you haven't, if you're not there already, um, page 1032 in your Pew Bible, if you've got the ESV that I have, or whatever translation you're looking at. Um, look at verse 9 again, as we consider God's plan for many nations. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, we, we see several things going on here about the nations. First, we see in this prophetic vision their location, which is before the throne of God and before the Lamb. This is a, a place with intimacy with God. In fact, verse 17 says that the Lamb becomes their shepherd and he leads them to springs of living water and God himself wipes away every tear from their eyes. So what we, what we see here is the sure promise that close to God for eternity future will be a new nation made up of people that he has saved from every nation who will be intimate and close with him for eternity. 
We also see something about their clothing. The, the clothing of the nations. They're wearing white robes. Now verse 14 indicates that these white robes represent redemption. They've, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That, that they have come to believe that, that he who knew no sin was made sin for them. That they might stand before God clothed in his righteousness. What a, what a beautiful truth for us to embrace today. Maybe you don't feel clean. But if you are in Christ, let me urge you if you're not, come to him today. Bow your heart before him in repentance and simple faith and trust that he died for you and rose from the dead and you will be saved and cleansed and if he has made you clean you are clean well we see elsewhere in revelation that these white robes are, are for those and they're worn by those who endure in this saving faith revelation chapter 3 verse 5 in jesus's letter to the church at sardis he says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. Now none of us run that race of endurance perfectly, do we? Sometimes we fall. But if you're in Christ, he's the one who lifts you back up. And, and so you can get up and keep running following after him, with your eyes on him, running that race of faith. So this, this group, this multitude of nations is, is standing there before God's throne with the lamb, being ministered to by the lamb who become, has become the shepherd. They're clothed in white robes. And we see here that they possess palm branches in their hands. Now last week, Dr. Jonathan Tidwell um, brought us the word and, and brought us kind of a report from what God's doing in, in uh, South Asia. And, and he shared with us that, that they are holding these palm branches that signify victory, victory in Christ. I, I remember Jesus as he was on his way to, to, to Jerusalem to die. He was greeted by people with palm branches, right? Who, who thought he was coming to reign physically, who didn't quite understand his mission yet. And yet here we have a picture of a completed mission and of victory. So they're clothed in white, holding palm branches of victory located before the throne of God himself. But who are these nations? What is their identity? Who's this multitude exactly? We, we read the term nation and it's hard not to, to think through the, the lens, the Western lens that we Interpret scripture, well, a nation is a line drawn on a map, right? It's a, it's a geopolitical nation, 196 of them in the world, right? Well, actually, the text here is more descriptive than that, more specific than that. John could have simply said, from every nation. But no, he said, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Moreover, the word here in the original language for Nathan, nations is ethnos, which sounds a whole lot like ethnic. It's where we get the term ethnic. And when we look at the biblical definition of nations, both in the original languages and in its use throughout scripture, we, we recognize here that he's talking about 
people groups, right? The Cherokee Nation or the Wano Nation. These are ethno-linguistic people groups that the Bible talks about. Psalm 96 verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. Verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. So instead of looking at a map and, and just looking at a, a geopolitical uh, a nation, uh, a, a line on a map, God sees groups of peoples. Now the International Mission Board defines or describes people groups as ethno-linguistic groups who share a common language and a cultural identity. For strategic purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. All right, these are groups of people who share a culture, right? If you think about it, a culture is simply the body of knowledge shared by members of a group, right? It's the body of knowledge shared by members of a group. And so people groups have their own culture. And you could, you could, we could take a deeper dive here. Families even have their own cultures, right? I mean, the first time I brought my, my wife before she was my wife home, my family culture scared her a little bit because I, was, I had her home for maybe 30 seconds and there was a pile of pistols on the kitchen table, right? Because all my brothers are there and everyone's comparing their gun with each other, you know. And, 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 and so, you know, she's thinking, hey, where I grew up, like bad guys, like gangsters carried these things. Who is this? What is this family? She's probably still trying to figure that out. And then, and then over dinner, my dad says to her, Beth, would you care for some salt? And she just said politely, no. And so a minute later, he says, Beth, would you care for some salt? And she's looking at me like, why does he keep asking me if I want salt? And he's looking at me like, what kind of a rude, you know, what kind of rude girl is this that you brought here? Because in my family culture, it was kind of more of an honor-shame culture, to be honest with you, you know, a little more third world maybe. Uh, that's how you ask for the salt. You don't directly say, pass the salt, right? The Afghans say, namak beden, give me the salt. But the, the, the way our family's rules were, you never acknowledge, you never actually directly say you want it. You ask them if they want it. You show them that you care more about their needs, but really what you want is them to care about your needs <laughs> and, and pass, the, pass you the salt. And you're supposed to know that because that's the body of knowledge shared by members of a group, right? So that's the point here. All right? The point is that God cares about the gospel getting to every single group that shares a culture, right? And so when you, when you look at the more macro perspective and you look at people groups, these folks share a culture. And so the gospel can, can spread within that culture without encountering a barrier of understanding or acceptance. Now we're going to look at this in a moment. But in the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, after the, after the flood, we see 70 people groups or 70 biblical nations detailed. And, and today, missiologists um, estimate that, there, that, that that group of 70 original nations has grown to about 11.5 thousand. All right, 11,500 people groups, more or less, exist in the world today. And of that number, 3,150 are what we call unengaged, unreached people groups. These are people groups, many of them small, hard to access. They're unengaged, unreached for a reason. 
But these are people groups that still need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are three things that I want us to think about this morning as we, as we consider God's plan for the nations. And, and the first point is that God's purpose from the beginning, from, from the very beginning, and let's just say, when I say beginning, <laughs> I mean like eternity past, right? Before he even created the world, God planned for nations to exist and he planned to redeem the nations. And we see this throughout the Bible, God's heart for the nations. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So here we see this grand promise. Like you, when, when is Jesus coming back? Jesus said it. It's when the gospel is, is spread to all People groups, when there are no more unengaged, unreached people groups. Now, you can actually find God's heart for the nations in the Old Testament. If you flip back to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, in the middle of this, this story of, of, of uh, interaction with God, this prophet trying to understand God's ways, we see this promise, this, this jewel in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you can even keep flipping backwards in your Bible, all the way back to the Psalms. And we could look at a number of Psalms. We could look at Psalm 96, right? Um, We could look at Psalm 103. But let's just look at Psalm 67, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 67, verses 1 through 4 May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Who are these nations again? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Well, you know, we can, we can keep flipping backwards in our Bibles, all the way back to the very book of Genesis, in which God made a, a covenant in which he, he called Father Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he said this to Abraham. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the nations, all the people groups, of the earth shall be blessed. So you see, God's plan for the nations spans from the very first book of the Bible all the way to the very last book of the Bible. But where did the nations come from? I don't know if you've ever thought about that when you've thought about missions work, all right? We know God is the author of all things. He's the author of history. But where did the nations begin? Well, we See, if we keep looking backwards in Genesis, that God's plan was accomplished through his scattering of the nations. In other words, he actually created the nations, we see in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, after the flood, by scattering them. Now, Genesis chapter 10 gives us what theologians call the table of nations. These are the the descendants of Noah. 
who following the flood spread out across the face of the earth. And, and, but, but chapter 11 actually details a, a seminal event that, that catalyzed this spread, right? That, that catalyzed this cultural and linguistic and what became over time an ethnic division of the peoples into people groups, into biblical nations. Now, you may wonder, as I did, um, well, how far after the flood did this happen? And this is kind of a sidebar, side note, but probably about 100 years after the flood, we see the Tower of Babel. And, and we get that by, by, by noting in verse 25 of chapter 10, a, 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 a guy named Peleg, whose name actually means division or divided. And the scriptures say, for in his days, the earth was divided. In that list of, of genealogies of, of, of the nations that went out. And so what happened here? What caused the earth, the nations to be divided? Well, that's what chapter 11 is all about, and that is the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, we see that mankind was united with one voice, but they were united in defiance of the command that God had given mankind in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, to spread out and to fill the earth with his glory. And instead, their intent was to build a powerful city and to lift up their unified voice in humanistic self-worship. So look at Genesis chapter 11, verses one with me. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Verse four. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So you see here, disobedience. We see here, self-centered, humanistic man worship. And God wasn't having any of that. Look down to verse 7 of Genesis chapter 11. The Lord actually mocks mankind's power by using the same word, and that is come. He says, come, and our Trinitarian God says, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. And so we see that God's plan to create nations actually happened through judgment, through his scattering of the nations. But God's call today to the church is not to scatter, but to gather the nations, so that they may worship him with one voice. And Jesus commanded his disciples in Matthew 28, his last words that Matthew records, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And again, that word is ethnos, people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you 
Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So God created the beautiful and the challenging, especially if you're trying to go and learn languages and other cultures, diversity of the nations in response to mankind's disobedience and pride. But he's working through us, his church, to unite them once again with one voice in worship of Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about that. One voice. What is this one voice? Well, at the tower, mankind used their unified voice to worship man. But we, the redeemed from every nation, will use our unified voice to worship God and the Lamb. That's his plan. And that was his plan from the beginning. And that's what we see here in our text in Revelation chapter 7, verse 10. This is what these redeemed from the nations, from all the people groups, every tribe, tongue, and nation are crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, what will we sing about before the throne of God? Well, we're going to sing about his salvation, the salvation of God. One of my former professors at Southern Seminary, Dr. Jim Hamilton wrote regarding this text. He wrote, they give credit where it's due. In verse 10, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They do not credit themselves for overcoming. God sealed them. They state plainly that salvation belongs to God. This means that their salvation is not due to the right choices they made, the virtue of their character, the superiority of their wisdom, or the strength of their will. Salvation belongs to God. God saved them. So they praised God. And so shall we with one voice. You see, God used man's sin at Babel to create the nations, which he would redeem into something beautiful. So God created the languages at Babel, and he redeemed them at the cross. And at Pentecost, he used the actual gift of languages to demonstrate the pouring out of his spirit on the redeemed. Before the fall, there was one language. There was one culture on earth. But God's plan for eternity was many nations with a great diversity of languages and culture, unified in one voice. Now let me say it again. From one language used to glorify man... God made many languages that he would one day unify in one voice to worship the Lamb. That is his plan. So here's the question. So what? Right? How should that change the way we live? The way we think? Our worldview? Well, I've got three things for you here. First of all, we should marvel at God's sovereign wisdom. For the nations. Just as there would be no cross without the tree in the garden, no cross of Christ without the tree that brought so much pain, there would be no Revelation 7 9 nations worshiping around the throne without the Tower of Babel. This tells us that God redeems the temporary failures and the sins of mankind to make something beautiful for eternity. 
Just as the tree in the garden was God's plan to lead mankind to the cross, God's scattering at the tower would one day culminate in the nations worshiping at the throne. Now Paul proclaimed to the Athenians, you remember on Mars Hill, God's sovereign purpose in creating the nations. And this is what he's talking about. In verse 26 of Acts 17, Paul said, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So God is sovereign, brothers and sisters, <laughs> over even the things that we mess up. And he redeems it and makes something more beautiful. John Piper wrote, God's great goal in all of history is to uphold and display the glory of his name for the enjoyment of his people from all the nations. The diversity of the nations has its creation and consummation in the will of God. Its origin was neither accident nor evil, and its future is eternal. The diversity will never be replaced by uniformity. Unity and diversity is more beautiful and more powerful than the unity of uniformity. Now, now what does that mean exactly? Let's think about this for a moment. Without the fall of mankind, the earth would certainly have been filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the descendants of Adam and Eve expanded Eden to fill the earth, right? Eden was a fixed place in Mesopotamia. Eden, the whole mandate, the whole point was for Eden to expand and fill the earth. And that will happen. God is gonna do it, right? But of course, man fell and failed in that mandate. But if he had not, let's say Adam and Eve had never sinned against God. Well, the worship of God would have been with one voice, but would have been in one tongue and through one culture. There would have only been one culture on earth. But God, we see here, desires to be worshiped by a more diversified, multicultural group of worshipers. Now, Grandma Angie went to be with the Lord several weeks ago, and, and yesterday we celebrated her life. And those who are here would note that we had, there were some Puerto Rican elements to that celebration, right? Uh, which were just a little bit more beautiful, a little bit different. And you know what? I believe that Grandma Angie today is worshiping God, worshiping the Lamb. In fact, it was actually this text that we're looking at right now that God used sovereignly to save her soul back in 1984, I think it was. Okay, well, today she is now fulfilling this. She is worshiping God. She's worshiping the lamb. But you know what? I believe she's worshiping according to her Puerto Rican culture. Okay? The, and, and some of the, the inhibitors are off. All right? She's singing with one voice, worship to the lamb, but it's coming from her own culture and most likely her own linguistic background. So what does a tribal wano worshiping Jesus today, you know, wearing his gourd, all right? If you have any questions about that, just go ask one of the wild brothers. They'll explain it to you. Um, what does he have in common with a, a Singaporean banker who's, who's worshiping Jesus at the same time, right? Similar time zones, maybe a, an hour off, um, in Singapore in a modern worship service. What do they have in common? They have Jesus Christ in common. And in him, there's a, a beautiful bond of unity that points to the surpassing worth of Jesus. Because Jesus is not just here for Western culture, right? He's not just here for white culture. 
He didn't just come for Central Asians or for Middle Easterners. The tapestry of human diversity that God has sovereignly weaved through time magnifies his beautiful united plan that bonds it all together. And so we see one voice in worship. And so let's marvel at God's sovereign and wise plan for humanity. Even as we think about the dispersal and the scattering of the nations at the Tower of Babel. Even as we look back to the tree in the garden, when we think about all the pain and suffering, right? We see that there's a, a, there's a great glory that God brings through all of this. Well, we should also, and this is the second application point, we should not only marvel at God's plan, but we should appreciate God's sovereign plan for the diversity of the nations. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus Christ died for people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if you just turn the, the page back from Revelation 7, you get to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10, in which we read that this great worship throng is singing a new song saying to the Lamb, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let me tell you, this, this text is of a great encouragement to missionaries that are out there trying to reach uh, unengaged, unreached people groups. All right, Because they know it's going to happen. God is going to do it. And he, he uses our, 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 our frail and, and weak obedience in accomplishing his purposes. But it's going to happen. But you know, this text shows us that God treasures each of these people. He treasures the nations. And so should we. You know, there's nothing more opposite, more opposed to the gospel than racism or ethnocentrism. It's a big word, but basically it means a fear of other cultures that are different than ours. And you know what? My name's Troy, and I'm ethnocentric. And so are you. Every one of us naturally are. Okay? There's nothing more opposite to the gospel than prejudice, where we like it our way and we look down on people who have different cultures, different ways of doing things. But here's the thing. Human tendency is to erect little babbles, little towers of Babel. Because birds of a feather, as my friend Morgan says, flock together. We do. We, we pursue people who share our culture, who know the rules, right, that are shared by the members of the group that kind of bind us together. Right? And, and even beyond that, I mean, it's just natural human uh, uh, proclivity to want to, to hang out with people who share our interests. And so jocks hang out with jocks and, and, and talk about football forever, right? And artsy people hang out with artsy people and talk about I'm not sure what. Um, and, and, and surfers hang out with other surfers. And I, I talk about, I don't know, I'm not a surfer, you know, whatever surfers talk about, you know, um, and, and et cetera. And, and so instead of just pursuing people who share our culture, we should pursue people who may be culturally different, but they share our Savior. They share our calling. I'll tell you, I, I've deepened in my Christian faith and understanding by knowing people, Christians of other cultures. I've, I've learned about the joy of community from African Christians. 
I've actually learned a, a, a deeper perspective of some of the parables of Jesus by being taught by African pastors and even African professors who came from an agrarian background that really helps you better understand the parables of Jesus, things that we miss, things that we really miss when we read it because we don't really know what he's talking about in terms of the cultural background. There's much that we American Christians could learn from the hospitality, from, from the resilience of Afghan Christians who have faced persecution. You know, I mean, I, I can talk to you about it, but if I haven't really experienced it, I, there isn't that much. I can tell you what God's word says, but my, my dear brother, Dr. Luke, the, the very first IMOC believe the very first Christian we think has ever existed from his nation, that the IMOC people group, right? 1.2 million people until the Lord saved him in 2003, 2004. We don't think there had ever been a, a Christian, a, a follower of Jesus among this, this people group, this ethno-linguistic group called IMOC, right? The Lord saved him. And it wasn't, I had the chance to spend time discipling him, being discipled by him. But he was saved because of some, some faithfulness of some Koreans who worked at the embassy in Kabul. And, and as, as, as he was teaching them Dari and they were teaching him English, they shared Jesus with him, right? Awesome stuff. Well, you know what? I just saw two days ago, and this really warmed my heart, an article online in the Gospel Coalition written by Dr. Luke about enduring persecution. He has something to teach the American church. I never, honestly, I, I, when I first got to know him, he kind of had this awkward personality. I thought maybe the Lord would use him to save the next Billy Graham. I didn't expect that would be him. Do you think we could learn from the Korean and African-American churches who love Jesus in our community? Dr. Dr. Moller writes, diversity is not an accident. It is a divine purpose. Diversity is not a problem. It is a divine gift. It does not reflect evolutionary development and social evolution. It reflects the image of God and the Genesis mandate to fill the earth. The new covenant community lives not by avoiding diversity of ethnicities, but by embracing and celebrating them. The new covenant community lives looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb when men and women from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will gather around the table of the king. And we should be drawn to diversity here in our own community. So when you see somebody, when you're at Walmart and you see somebody who clearly comes from a different ethno-linguistic or different cultural background, let me encourage you to think two thoughts, all right? Because uh, you don't know the state of their heart. But maybe that person is coming from a place that is least reached with the gospel. Maybe they don't have a relationship with Jesus and maybe nobody has actually ever shared the gospel. You know, I met a, met a young guy named Aslam in London, right? And we were sitting there in a, in a noodle shop, little Chinese place, he's an Afghan Pashtun guy. And again, you gotta be a Calvinist to believe that God can save a Pashtun. These guys are like rock hard, okay, rock hard. I mean, pretty much, pretty much all the Taliban were Pashtun, came out of were Pashtun, all right? And, and so here I am with this Pashtun guy who was very winsome. He spoke like eight languages, all right? He'd been living in Europe for 
like 15 years. It'd been a, a, a young refugee had actually fled because of, honestly, from fear of being um, hurt by his own father. And he had fled and had lived in Amsterdam for a number of years, and he lived in London for about six or seven years. And he asked me the question, do you mind if I, he, I'd prayed for our meal, so he realized I was a, a follower of Jesus. He says, do you, he says, may I ask you a question, and if this is too personal, I'm sorry, you don't have to answer it, but who is Jesus? And, and where is he? Like, is he in heaven? Is he on earth? Because I've been living in this Christian, he thought, he thought Britain was a Christian community and culture, all right? Less than 2% church attendance. He thought, he thought that was a Christian nation, all right? I've been living in Christian nations for 15 years, and no one has ever told me. So when you see somebody from a, from a, a, a different cultural background at the grocery store, that might be an incredible opportunity to have a part in making disciples of, of the nations just by being a friend, by engaging with them, having them, getting them into your home, building a relationship, asking them questions about their background. And, and then as the Lord opens the door, sharing Jesus with them. Or maybe this person that you see is a believer. Maybe this is a, a Christian who could help you love Jesus more from their cultural perspective if you got to know them. And, you, and it's like the gospel is like a diamond, you know, and it, all these beautiful colors. Well, well, maybe you could actually learn more about the beauty of God from them, from their experience. So get to know them. Appreciate God's sovereign plan for the diversity of the nations. Man, I'm praying that God will send some of these Afghan refugees that got airlifted. I'm praying God would send some of them to our, our county. You know, honestly, we're not the most, we're not the most um, refugee-friendly county in Florida. But I'm praying God will send some of them here so that we can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there's some believers among them, man, we've got some stuff we could learn from them. That would be awesome. Well, finally, final point here in the so what. But we should live passionately for God's gospel unifying of the nations. We should live passionately, every one of us, for God's gospel unifying of the nations. And that will not be at the UN Tower, but around his throne. Now, let me put that another way. Each of us here in this room should be juiced up about the Great Commission. Jesus Christ is the only hope for the nations, and he will bring them one day to one voice in worship at the end of time as we know it. And until then, we have a job to do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It is as he has written and as he has decreed it. And that means that everyone in this room should be a sender or a goer. And if we are neither, we're just disobedient. All right? We're, we're right now functioning as loser Christians. And I don't want to be a loser, and I don't want you to be a loser. So be a sender or be a goer. So let's talk about goers. We, we've been blessed to have some goers come back and to be with us. And man, we're richer for it. I love this week. 
getting to rub shoulders, um, have lunch, talk to some of our sent ones. And I hope you'll take, if, if you haven't already, take advantage. You still got today, you still got tonight to hang out and to spend time with those that we've, we've sent. I, I'm encouraged by their faith. I'm, cons- I'm, I'm encouraged by their humility. I'm encouraged by their commitment to endure. Um, if a friend of mine who this just a few days ago um, crossed the finish line and finished his race, his name is Dr. Chip Moses. He's a couple years older than me. Um, Chip grew up in Zimbabwe. His parents were missionaries, so he, he grew up in Africa. Um, came back to the U.S., went to, went to college, went to medical school. And he felt God's call to actually take that medical knowledge and use that to go to places like Ruthie was talking about this morning. Places that you can't go as a missionary unless you've got some uh, ticket to get in, Right? Creative access, we call it. There's no closed place. There's just places where you have to be creative to get into. So that's what he did. He went to Central Asia. He spent over 20 years. He was in Tajikistan and then later in the country where we served for many, many years. And I'll tell you what, people came far and wide to see Dr. Chip. And he loved them. He used to actually give his own blood to his patients. And he would use that as a tool to point them to the blood of Christ who could bring true healing for them. Sadly, for us, not for Chip, the Lord brought him home just a couple days ago. I'm praying that God will use his faithfulness to raise up more goers. But you know, God has called most of us to be senders. And, and the, the, the primary way we do that as a church is through our life groups. So life group leaders, Life groups, let's be sure that we are diligent whenever we get together to be praying for those that we're responsible for, for encouraging them and, and, and supporting them. And one of the best ways that you can do that today is to come out tonight to the missions fair and, and to really try to get to know their nations, their people groups, to learn more about the Wolof and the Wano and the Bengalis, and the Uyghurs, and many others. We're going to have all kinds of information on boards and ethnic foods. I hope everybody here can come tonight and, and not just learn about those that we've sent, but learn about their mission, learn about these people that they love, that they are praying for. May the Lord use our prayers to bring these nations around his throne. So let's be about all about gathering disciples from the nations. And the good news is it is going to happen. God will use his church to accomplish this purpose. That is the picture that we see in Revelation chapter 7. And that is what Jesus prophesied when he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So do you love the nations as God does? How will you use your voice? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do marvel at your sovereign plan. We recognize, Lord, that your acts in history are not simply reactive. We, we humans are not in control, but you are. And you even use 
our wickedness to accomplish your great purposes. You used the sin of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, at the tree to carve out the cross, your plan of redemption for the nations. And Lord, you used the wicked tower of Babel to, to create the very nations that you plan to redeem and gather around your throne for your greater glory. Lord, so make us all about that. Give us, give us a passion for the people groups of this world that you're passionate about. Lord, I pray that you would use our little church here in Niceville, Florida, to engage more unengaged, unreached people groups. So Lord, I pray for those that you've sent back home to us right now to, to report to us, to encourage us, and to be encouraged, I pray, by us. Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to use them, give them endurance and faith and admission. And Lord, may you call many more of the peoples that they labor among around your throne in worship. Lord, give us a heart for our neighbors. Lord, give us a heart for those who come here from the nations, Lord, may we be all about seeking to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room who has known cultural Christianity, but they don't know you, I pray that today would be the day that you would draw them into a living faith with the lamb who will become our shepherd. In his name I pray, amen.